It's a tough pill to swallow. Let's talk about it on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone. Dr. Johnny here, and this is another episode of Pushback. I'm going to start with an apology that this is one day late. I'm releasing this a little bit later than usual. Uh, unfortunately, I've been uh, working through some low back pain, uh, fairly significant to the point where I'm having disc surgery uh, in a couple days. So that has slowed me down this week. Um, I feel like I can kind of be up at least and doing this podcast and the show must go on, right? Uh, so I'm going to uh, release this podcast. I haven't missed an episode in three and a half years, so I'm not about to start now. Uh, so I do want to share my heart with you uh, this week. Uh, and so I appreciate you being patient for the release of this podcast, just a, a one day late anyway. I'll try not to make a habit of that. So thank you for tuning in against this uh, this week. Last week, I talked about uh, what I entitled Banana Split, uh, referring to both sides of accusing each other of being a banana republic and certainly came to a head with the indictment of uh, former President Donald Trump. Uh, I just found a headline the day after I released my podcast that I just have to share with you because it's so summed up my concern and the alarm that I raised at last week's podcast. The headline uh, to this article is Trump's indictment is karmic justice, regardless of the verdict. verdict. This is the New York Times just released last week. It's kind of a chilling title if you really think about it, because it's exactly what I was talking about. It wasn't really equal protection under the law. It wasn't about the danger of using uh, weaponizing law enforcement, but it was guilty by public opinion. Trump's indictment is karmic justice. He just deserves it because he's a bad guy and I hate him. Regardless of the verdict, it doesn't matter if it's a legitimate a legitimate charge against him or not. One paragraph says lying, cheating, personally and professionally, financial misdeeds, sexism, whatever the eventual outcome of this trial, the moral and political case against Trump now echoes the case against Trump back then. And this is what we're referring to is disagreement equals hate. And because I hate you, I can justify even imprisoning you or falsely indicting you. Now, again, I am not here trying to be an apologist for the actions of Donald Trump or that obviously some of these things that he's going through doesn't look good. I get it. And so I'm not trying to defend that. But the response to weaponize the judicial system to go after somebody, a former president, a current candidate for the Republican Party, is certainly unprecedented and very, very dangerous. But I thought this headline pretty much summed it up. 
Today, I want to talk about something that's been in the news also this past week that I think is so important. I have been uh, determined to continue to go back to the issue of abortion, and you're going to hear this over and over again, and I really want you to never look at the headline of my podcast and say, oh, I've heard this before, because we have to go after these things that matter the most, and I actually have a podcast that's entitled What Matters Most, and of course, it's about the abortion issue. It's the civil rights uh, issue of my lifetime. It's the helpless life, the unprotected life that is the most important thing. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in that order. So your pursuit of happiness doesn't get to trump my liberty and your liberty does not get to trump my life. And because these unborn babies can't vote, don't have a say, try to be reduced to a clump of cells. When that happens, it needs to become the top priority of the things that we fight for, the things that we care for. How history will remember us standing in the gap for those innocent lives. I'm going to really focus on an article that I found this week and, and read a decent portions of it because I think it's such a great summary of a case uh, that was brought before federal judge Matthew Kazmarek. Um, and he made the decision uh, last Friday uh, freezing the FDA's approval of the abortion pill combination um, mifepristone and misoprostol. Um, and this is... An article written by Margot Cleveland, um, and it was such an excellent summary of what happened. So I just want to read large portions of this, and then we'll discuss it. Um, the left is already attacking Kazmarek's 76-page straight-talking opinion in Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine um, versus the FDA. Uh, by framing it as filled with anti-abortion rhetoric, the Trump appointee sticks to the facts something Americans desperately need to hear after decades of euphemistic discussions about abortion. I think that's so important, and you'll have heard me say this many times, that we can talk straight about this abortion issue. People are trying to make it sort of a in-the-closet, things that aren't seen, sterile, um, thing that happens to women that doesn't really affect anybody or their long-term outcomes. So now there is a abortion pill, a combination of uh, mifeprestone and misoprostol um, that can chemically induce abortion. And it was rapidly brought through FDA approval until it was challenged before Judge Kaczmarek, who actually halted it. And that's a huge win. The court explained the drugs and their functioning. Mifepristone, also known as RU486 or Mifeprex, is a synthetic steroid that blocks the hormone progesterone, halts nutrition, and ultimately starves the unborn human until death. But because Mifepristone alone will not always complete the abortion, the court continued, the FDA mandates a two-step drug regimen, Mifepristone to kill the unborn human, followed by Misoprostol to induce cramping and contractions to expel the unborn human from the mother's womb. We need to highlight the fact that this judge is using the phrase and words unborn human. It's significant. It's not a politically motivated term as he's going to explain. 
Calling an unborn human an unborn human immediately triggered abortion activists. But as Kazmarek explained in a footnote, such terminology is scientifically correct. Whereas the lawyers and courts often use the word fetus to inaccurately identify unborn humans in unscientific ways. The word fetus, Kazmarek explained, refers to a specific gestational stage of development as opposed to zygote, blastocyst, or embryo stages. And because the FDA approvals of the, of the abortion drugs amp uh, applies at multiple gestational stages, the word, fetus, the word fetus would be inaccurate. It's extremely well written by this judge who apparently really did his homework. The article goes on to say, it is understandable that abortion activists want to hide the humanity of unborn humans, but that doesn't make the science less real. It just means girls and women who have bought the clump of cells narrative will suffer when faced with the truth, which chemical at-home abortions force. The mother seeing the aborted human appears to be a difficult aspect of the medical termination process, which can be dis distressing, bringing home the reality of the event and may influence later emotional adaption. You think so? Understatement of the year. For example, one woman was surprised and saddened to see that her aborted baby had a head, hands, and legs with defined fingers and toes. Heartbreaking. And this judge is bringing this to a delight in this 67-page, beautifully written position. What about the harm to women? Beyond exposing the reality that abortion kills an unborn human, Kazmarek's opinion also refuted the popular belief and talking points that using the abortion pill is as easy as taking Advil. Here, the federal judge detailed the factual evidence. Among other things, bleeding from a chemical abortion, unlike surgical abortion, can last up to several weeks, and by being done at home without physician oversight, it can lead to undetected ectopic pregnancies, failure of RH factor incompatibility detection, and misdiagnosis of gestational age, all leading to severe or even fatal consequences. I can testify as an ER doctor, we see gals and women coming in all the time with threatened or uh, happening miscarriages and we take care of them even though to be honest with you when they come in at six eight ten weeks gestational age there's not a whole lot we really can do yet yet patients are coming in because they're scared they're scared of bleeding they're scared of what's going to happen next they're scared that they've lost too much blood well according to this pill this is actually inducing the exact same thing do you think women are going to be comfortable just being at home when this process begins no they're going to be coming frequently into the ER and we're going to be seeing them as ER physicians taking care of these problems the opinion also countered the claim that side effects are rare by highlighting evidence that over 60% of women and girls emergency room visits are after chemical abortions are miscoded as miscarriages rather than adverse effects to mifepristone. I can see how that would happen, especially if they don't tell the doctor why they're having a miscarriage. Was it chemically induced or spontaneous? The evidence also shows emotional and psychological injury. Kazmarek stressed with 77% 70 of women who underwent a chemical abortion reporting a negative change after the at-home abortion, and 38% of women reporting issues with anxiety, depression, drug abuse, and suicidal thoughts because of the chemical abortion. While the abortion industry prefers to cite its own evidence, as Kazmarek noted, those studies are flawed because both 
because of the miscoding of chemical abortions as miscarriages, and because the FDA stopped requiring the reporting of non-fatal adverse reactions. Not only is this judge's opinion spot on and incredibly accurate and scientifically true, he's exposing the root of many of the moralistic issues that are going to take place as well, like its eugenic roots. The left also didn't like Hasmeric exposing the eugenic beliefs of, of the Population Council, which had sought FDA approval for the abortion drugs. John D. Rockefeller founded the Population Council in 1952, quote, after he convened a conference with population activists such as Planned Parenthood's director and several well-known eugenicists, the court wrote. Attendees of that conference discussed the problem of quality and concluded that modern civilization had reduced the operation of natural selection by saving more weak lives and enabling them to reproduce, thereby resulting in a downward trend in genetic quality. Hello, people. We need to have our eyes open to what's happening here. Many Americans remain oblivious to the historical backdrop eugenics played to the abortion movement, and activist groups prefer that they remain in the dark. The sunlight Kazmarek shined upon that truth infuriates them. Let's skip to safety. The FDA later abandoned the above safe. Uh, let's see, I need to go up here. Um, after the Population Council submitted a new drug application, the FDA proposed detailed restrictions to address safety concerns, including that the drug be administered by doctors, trained and authorized by law to perform surgical abortions, trained in administering mifepristone and treating adverse events, and able to provide treatment at a medical facility that had the equipment necessary to perform surgical abortions, resuscitation procedures, and blood transfusions within one hour's drive. The FDA's restrictions were leaked to the press, prompting a political firestorm. The FDA later abandoned the above safety mandates, this just infuriates me, and approved the drug for use to kill unborn humans aged seven weeks gestation or younger. The FDA required three in-person office visits, the first to administer mifepristone, the second to administer mesoprostol, and the third to assess any complications and ensure there were no fetal remains in the womb. All adverse events were also required to be reported. In 2002, the FDA removed even more of the safety restrictions, increasing the maximum gestational age from seven weeks to 10 weeks, reducing the number of office visits from three to one, and increasing the drug dosage, allowing non-doctors to prescribe and administer chemical abortions, and eliminating the requirement for non-fatal adverse reactions to be reported. Then in 2019, the FDA approved a, gen a generic version, and on uh, 2021, the FDA announced it would allow abortion pills to be dispensed through the mail. Whether FDA abandoned its proposed restrictions because of political pressure or not, the court wrote, one thing is clear. The lack of restrictions resulted in many deaths and many more severe or threatening adverse reactions. But due to the FDA's lax reporting requirements, the exact number is not ascertainable, Kazmarek stressed. So he talks it to us straight, but it was not on politics that Kazmarek based his decision to freeze the FDA approvals of the abortion bill. pill. Rather, it was his methodical opinion. Uh, the federal judge explained that the FDA lacked the authority to accelerate approval of the drug under what is called subpart H of the FDA, 
That subpart only allows for accelerated approval of drugs that treat serious or life-threatening illnesses, something pregnancy is not. Kaczmarek also concluded the evidence that the FDA supposedly relied upon to approve the abortion drugs failed to support the conclusion that they were safe and effective under particular conditions of use. And finally, Kaczmarek held, held the FDA's approval of mail distribution violated the 1873 Comstock Act, which makes it illegal to use the mail to deliver any article or thing designed, adapted, or intended for producing abortion. Seems pretty straightforward to me. This will probably end up before the Supreme Court, which hopefully would make us feel hopeful that they would understand and see the beautifully presented article by Judge Kaczmarek, who, in my opinion, is a hero. Just going back to some of these political pressures, he also exposed political pressure placed on the FDA to approve the abortion drug, something Americans are likely to appreciate more today in the aftermath of the FDA's hasty approval of the COVID mRNA shots. That certainly has come under fire, but that was an emergency situation, and clearly this is not that. Politics plays a role in this, but as I mentioned even in previous podcasts, politicians aren't the answer. They aren't the answer to any of these issues. The politicians respond to the will and the heart of the people. But politically, it's tricky. It's tricky to take a stance um, in regards to abortion and the things that we believe in. Nikki Haley came out, who I support, and, and I, I believe she's a very strong candidate and have a bunch of honor for her. She is not a fan of every state coming up with a different week of of gestation for abortion. She says that we should have a quote unquote consensus, but that's tricky. I would tell her because is she looking to compromise? Is she looking to propose that life begins at fertilization or is she looking to propose something like a 10 week abortion ban? Now a 10 week abortion ban would save potentially hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of lives. And I get that, but it's still governmental control and it's still abortion. See, we have to be very tricky and it's hard even doing this podcast. I can sit behind this microphone and I can take a moralistic stance and I can say that abortion is wrong all of the time. It's a human life and you can't take a human life. It's that simple. However, when you're a politician, there's going to be this area of compromise can we be willing to compromise on something that's immoral in order to save some lives and yet still sign your name to something that is compromising? Let me give you an example. I gave this to my children and it was a hard one for them to answer. I'm not sure they actually ever answered the question because it's too tricky. Let's say that we lived back in the 1860s and we were congressmen or congresswomen and a bill came before our desk that would allow every person to have one legal slave. But all of the rest of the slaves then would be free. You can pick one. Would you sign that bill? The result of the bill would be thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of slaves being freed. The consequence of the bill is in slavery 
of one person, which is still immoral and wrong. Would you be willing to sign your name on that bill? I encourage you to pause this podcast and talk about it with your family. What would they do? It's the greater good phenomenon. Well, I think it applies to our abortion issue today. If I was a politician and I had a bill came across that said we were going to impose a national 10-week abortion ban, think of the millions of lives that could potentially be saved by that bill, except my name would be signing and compromising to take the life of a baby under the age of 10 weeks, gestational age. Could you do it? I don't think I could do it. It's probably why I'm not a politician. Maybe you could, and I don't have an answer. I don't even have a moralistic answer to that because politics is a whole other animal, but we need to be able to stand in that place of righteousness. Would somebody back in the 1860s who signed a bill of the One Slave Act, we'll call it, hypothetically, would they be considered a hero today? And the answer is probably yes, because they would have it would have resulted in thousands of slaves being freed. But we're not judged on human standards. We're judged by heaven's standards. Would heaven see them as a hero? Or would they be okay signing nothing and leaving slavery as is? Also moralistically abhorrent. No easy answers to this. But somebody like Judge Kaczmarek can stand in the gap and not only say what's right, his message was true and was accurate and was exposing. And we need more people like him to stand in that place and bring the true facts because we stand on the moral high ground on this issue. I promise you that. I promise you that. So we can be sure that his ways are higher than our ways and we can stay connected to his ways no matter what. And we can continue to pray that abortion would be wiped off of the ledger for this country. Nobody ever thought Roe versus Wade was going to be overturned or could be overturned. So if you're listening to this podcast and say, that's just too pie in the sky, that's just too much of a dream. Let's keep dreaming. Let's keep going after. Let's keep protecting and, and, and fighting for those who can't fight and protect themselves. I am passionate about this topic. You know this. And I'm going to continue to bring it back over and over again. So stay tuned to this story. Stay aware. And get connected to the facts. Judge Kaczmarek's response was 67 pages. That's not too many pages. We should read it. We should dissect it. We should learn it. We should know what the issues are. And the main two words are unborn human. Because that changes the dialogue completely. Again, I'm sorry that this is one day late. Thank you for connecting to my heart again this week. I do have surgery on Tuesday. I will take prayers for that, for speedy recovery. And I may be a little bit late next week too. We'll see how the recovery goes. So I ask for grace for that as well. But until then, let's go together now to set and shape the culture.